what is happening right here is, is it's almost like a revival. Um, it's not a sexy revival, but it's, um, God's doing something. This is really strange. This is Saturday morning on a relatively warm day, and you guys are here. And I know it's not because of me, um, but there's something about God, what God is doing in and through this church that uh, this is really cool. I'm, I've been standing in amazement. I'm going, so when is it going to stop? When are these going to people, more and more people are coming. What's going on? So I want to I want to honor what God's doing by uh, just sharing a few things over the next few hours that I think will help you, not just up here, but in here. Um, before I get into the teaching, I want to reaffirm, we all know this, each one of you have been given very specific, unique gifts from God. We all know that. You may not know what those gifts are, but it's non-negotiable. God has given each believer certain giftings. God has given each believer a, a series of callings. You don't just have one calling. Many people treat their calling as like their Christian career. But we, we all have callings. Like if, if, you're, if, if, you, if you're young and you're still living at home, your calling, part of your calling is to find out how God wants you to be the best kid for your parents. It's true. And if you're, and if you're a parent, you know, part of your calling is say, okay, God, how do you want to use me to help raise my kids so they can be, you know, world changers? Um, same thing our calling has to do with whatever it is we're designed to do. What's God's view of it? Its value? And how, the, how does God want to express himself through those things? So I just want to say, you all have callings, even if you don't know what those are. And you all have giftings, even if you don't know what those are. I'm not going to talk too much about giftings and callings. Um, sometimes what's necessary for our gifts and callings to be more effective or more real is not to talk more about the gifts or callings talk about foundations. Like if, if, if you have a really nice house with a whole bunch of cool furnishings, but the structure and the foundations aren't so, aren't so good, then after a while, what's in the house is, you know, it just falls apart and things like that. But it's weird if you have a really, really good foundation, gets strong, and the structure's uh, really strong, it facilitates, it, it, you know, it just protects what, what's in the house. Here's another example. You guys will laugh at me. I'm originally from New Jersey, and, you know, most... A lot of things I used to raise was, you know, pavement. You know, just little pieces of pavement. Because we didn't, we didn't, we were poor people. We didn't have, like, gardens and things like that. Um, when I moved to Minnesota many, many years ago, I had, uh, I decided to plant a garden. <laughs> and I didn't even read about it. I just went, I'm going to plant some tomatoes. So what I did is I went to the store and got those little, you know, cups with little, little starter things. And, and I planted them in, in it was really good. And after a while, they grew. And then, you know, I'd water it, maybe weed it every so often. And then after a while, the tomatoes started coming out. But some of the tomatoes, they didn't grow very big. Some got eaten by something. And some of them just sort of got really dirty, right? And uh, anyways, I was talking to one of my friends. And I said, you know, I planted a garden. I got some tomatoes. And, you know, he was a, he was a Minnesotan, so he, he was, like, really excited about that. He goes, really? What kind of tomatoes? I go, I don't know. I just bought tomatoes and planted them. And he goes, so what kind of yield did you get? And I started telling him what I was getting. And he goes, did you use a steak? And I go, what? What kind of steak did you use? And I'm going, what are you talking about? And he goes, it, was it like a wood steak or what kind of? I go, what do you, well, when you, do pl- when you do tomatoes, you let them grow a little bit, and then you dry the steak and then just tie 
the thing. So it grows up. And I go, why would you do that? And he, he said, it's so that you get a better yield and, and you get better tomatoes. Because if, if you have a wild vine just growing along the ground, you'll get tomatoes, but some will get eaten up. You know, things like that. God gives gifts and callings to us, but the issue is, what are we going to be tied to? If we think that our developing of who we are is just sort of whatever, then we won't get the yield that we would really want. So that when I talk about foundations, these are not limitations. These are things that sort of tie us in better so we can be more fruitful, okay? The things I'm going to talk about, they're not rules and regulations. Um, but they're like checklists that we can look at to see how we're spiritually growing. Um, this is so not a how-to, how to be a better leader. Um, but I want to talk about some foundational things, which if we let God massage those into our lives, whatever it is we're called to do, whatever our gifts are, they will they'll grow and they'll be richer, they'll have a greater yield. That, that's, that's the perspective I'm coming in. Um, so with that, you know, Mike's already uh, said, when, when I think of a leader, I think of anybody who is in a position of influence. Anybody who is in a position to develop other people. That's what a leader is. Um, the issue is not whether or not you're a leader. Everybody is a leader. The way God looks at leadership, everybody's a leader. It's just the issue is where, what kind of leadership do you have? Where are you placed? Yeah, I'm a leader uh, in church and I have a position, but that doesn't make me more of a leader than you if you're a stay-at-home mom. And I mean, I, I mean that, that leadership is wherever God places you. It has to do with your capacity to influence and develop people. So, you're all leaders. I now ordain you in the name of Jesus to be the leaders you're called to be. Um, I hope Mike doesn't get upset at that. Um, so I want to talk about some scriptures, uh, a, a central scripture that means a lot to me. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to just read this make a couple comments. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of all those who believe. Now, Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor. He's sort of like a lead elder. But fundamentally, he's a leader. What, what, what Paul is doing is not talking to Timothy simply about how he can become a better pastor. He's talking about how he can become a better leader. So the principles for Timothy are, are applicable to us. So he says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is, a, this is an important little thing. Now I'll wait. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through the, a prophetic message when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Look, wherever we are, that's where God will start. But when we progress, we want to progress in such a way that everybody sees how we progress. Seriously, years ago, how I used to preach is a little different than how I preach now. And it's a little better. It's just a little better. And people have said, you yeah, know, you were okay then, but you're better now. And initially I would be offended. I'd go, so you didn't like my preaching back then? You know, what's so bad about that? But 
the thing is, they saw my progress, and when they saw my progress, you know what that did for them? They, they said, you know, I can progress too. One of the coolest things about leadership is not that we have to get things right, but that we're always growing in such a way that other people can see us growing. When people see us grow and change, that does something for those under our care. Kids, you know, kids love our mom, you know, mom and dad, no matter what, you know, well, usually. But when they see dad, you know, dad gets saved, so he stops drinking, and he stops, you know, all this stuff, and he's reading his Bible, and he starts saying nice things to mom in public, and all this stuff, and the kids are watching, going, daddy's changing. Ooh, it's, it's changed for the better, and, ooh, it looks like it's going to last. You know what happens to them? They go, this Jesus thing works. So when, when we live our life in such a way that our growth is evident to everybody, it inspires. I just want to throw that in there. But this is where I want to land. Watch your life. Look at your life and your doctrine. Look at how you're actually living and look at what you actually believe. Um, do that closely. First point. Fundamentally, each of us are responsible for our own walk with God. It's a funny thing. It's true that pastor is supposed to feed the sheep, but the whole idea of being, of, of being a Christian is after you learn how to eat, you become a self-feeder. When people go, I'm just not being fed, you know, if they were in the South, you just say, well, bless your heart. Bless your heart. What they're saying is, look, I don't want to be a self-feeder. I don't want to be a self-feeder. But he's sitting there saying, look, I want you to look at how you actually live, for better or worse. I want you to examine what you actually think, your doctrine. Why would God want us to do that, to be introspective, to make us feel bad about ourselves? No, that's not, not, not what's going on. Let's see the reason. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine closely. Persevere or be absorbed in them because this is one of the fundamental whys of leadership. Why do you lead? Or why does... What does God want our motive to be? Persevere in these things because if you do, two things will happen. You will save both yourselves and your hearers. Now, we're not talking about going to heaven because the word there is sozo, and I'm sure Bob has taught on this, that salvation is a very, very big package. That when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just to get our ticket punched to heaven. It's that God made provision for us to to become all he called us to be and to accomplish all that he has for us. Now, there's a, salvation is a, you know, there's comfort, there's healing, there's a whole bunch of stuff that Jesus has made provision for us so that we can grow. So the first thing is, the reason you watch your life and your doctrine and persevere in them is so that you grow. You have personal growth. But you'll, not, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. It's really interesting. I could give you a how-to and it would help you. But leadership is not so much what you do as it is who you are. That what gets imparted to other people is not information. It's who you are. And he's sitting there going, look at who you are, what you think. And, and as you grow, not only will it benefit you, but it will benefit your hearers. He's talking to, not about your gifts and callings, he's talking about your foundations. So it's very, very important for us to 
you know, not be obsessed with ourselves, but to calmly every so often just look at ourselves, you know. So how's it going? You know what a good father does? He has an idea where a kid should be, sees where the kid is. He doesn't go, you should be here. He wants to go, okay, here's where you are. Here's where you'd like to go. Let's make adjustments. Or, oh, you're doing really great. Just keep on going. There's something about watching yourself and, and taking a look, not to criticize or condemn, um, but just to look so that you can grow. And as you grow, you will have increased impact on other people. I don't know how that works. I've seen two people teach the same exact thing, but one has more anointing than the other, and it's usually because their life is more compassionate. They're, or you've seen worship people. That's why I love worship. You, have, you actually have worship leaders up there. But sometimes you have just excellent musicians. You can have two people singing the same song, and, and it's beautiful and you know, perfect and all that, but one is going to carry the anointing of God. Why? Because who they are, they're worshipers. They're not just people who worship. You know what I'm saying? So this is such a, a really cool foundational text for, that, that emphasizes just looking at how do we actually live and looking at what we actually think. I'm not going to talk about doctrine. I'm not going to talk about what we think. I just want to talk about some things about our lives. When, when we're asked by God, well, encouraged by God, to watch our life, he's, he's really say, saying, so how do we relate to certain important things? When we're looking at our lives, we're not just looking at ourselves, we're looking at ourselves as they relate to very important parts of the Christian walk. So we're gonna, I'm going to go through a number of things. And by the way, we'll have time for Q&A. You know? So if you have a Q, right, please write it down so you don't forget. All right? uh, we will have time for Q&A. Um, how do we relate to a bunch of things? Before I launch into that, I wanted to say this one thing. If you're, say, a really good business leader or you're a really good football coach, you know, and, and you're really good within a non-kingdom environment, many people think that if you are good in leadership in a non-kingdom env environment, you can just take those skills and translate them over into the kingdom. Now, that's true to an extent. Like if you're organized, you know, in the world or in a worldly uh, position, organizational skills can translate into the kingdom. Actually, they need to be more and more. But the difference between a good leader in a non-kingdom context and a good leader within a kingdom context has nothing to do with skill. It has to do with motivation. It has to do with motivation. So with that in mind, we'll talk about the first thing. How do you relate, or how do we relate to church? I mean, the concept of church. If I were to say, ask, ask you for your ecclesiology, you'd go, excuse me, are you giving me a message in tongues? Now, ecclesiology has to do with the nature and purpose of church. Whatever we do, we always act out of some presupposed ideas of what the nature and function of the thing is. Like, there's a fundamental why that, that undergirds whatever it is we do. To grow in effectiveness as a, as a kingdom leader, it requires that we examine how we actually relate to church, its mission, and its methods. Okay? This is the why of church. And 
we all come from different backgrounds. Um, when I was unsaved, I thought church was just a club. I really did. And when I first got saved, I thought I joined a club. And, you know, when you join a club, you expect certain benefits and all that sort of stuff. And, gosh, after a while, I started getting really disappointed in this club because it wasn't meeting my expectations of what this particular club should be, right? And the problem was not my heart. Well, I was a little self-centered. The problem was that my ecclesiology was wacko. I had an idea what this club was for, and God's idea of what the club was for was very different than mine. <clears throat> so I want to share some things that will help us grow in our ecclesiology. Hey, I, I don't want to harp, but you know, have you ever had people go, well, I really love this church, but there's not enough for child, you know, we just don't have child care. Now, I understand that because I have children. But if your ecclesiology is, is, is more adjusted, you'll go, wow, this church doesn't have a lot of child care, and this is, this is something that really concerned me. How can I be part of the development of a child care instead of going, you know, I've come to this store, I've come to the supermarket, and I'm not getting my money's worth. I'm going somewhere else. And it's, it's the, the ecclesiology, the model of what church is for, usually needs to be adjusted. Um, many of us ha are still trying to figure out, I love this church, Paladin is great, Victory is great. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Why are we doing this instead of this? And many times, it's not like you're wrong. It's just your view of what church is for is very different than, than other people. So I'm just going to try to help to sort of massage uh, our ecclesiology so we can grow in it. I am still growing in my knowledge and experience what church is for. The first thing we, we, we need to realize that the church fundamentally is an expression and extension of the heart and ministry of Jesus. If we don't make that connection, we'll miss out. If you look at the example of Jesus, yes, he did healing. Yes, he was very compassionate. Oh, was he forgiving? He was very humble. You know, he, 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 he washed feet. He did all these sorts of things. And the people who followed him were like going, wow, Jesus is really cool. And I get all these benefits by walking with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. But if you walked with Jesus long enough, he, he would have what I would call the it factor. Not necessarily charismatic. Scripture says there was nothing really about him that was attractive. Right? If you looked at him, you wouldn't go, there's a superstar. You just got, there was something about him. He had the it factor. He had a fire in his eye and a fire in his belly. It was a man who understood why he was here on planet Earth. He just did. Um, have you ever met people like that? People, I, they, they don't have to be boisterous. They don't have to be militant. They don't have to be loud. But when you're around them, they, they know who they are. And they know where they're going. They're not perfect. They're not say cocky. And because they have the sense of mission, the sense of purpose, it's very attractive. It's attractive to wherever you are in life. It's always attractive when people have a sense of purpose. Jesus had a sense of purpose. He, you know, he was fun to be around, and he did really cool things. But what drove him was that he just wanted to obey his father. He really liked his father. He loved his father. He was devoted to his father. And he just wanted to obey him and serve him and reveal him. Like, it wasn't, Jesus wasn't going around going, look at me, look at me. He goes, I want to live in such a way that when people look at me, they'll basically see the father. Um, he wanted to advance his father's kingdom by his direct, by God, by, by father's direction and to do it in such a way that even if it cost him, he would do it. The, 
if you can just imagine following the real Jesus like this, you'd go, wow. But another thing, if you notice about his heart, you know, there's another part of his ministry. You know, he, had, he had a mission, but he also had a method. His method is that he didn't have sign-up lists. He recruited. He didn't have sign-up lists. He didn't take the board and go, okay. I mean, I'm not saying that if you do, you know, do the sign-up thing, you're doing anything wrong. But I just want to talk about Jesus for a moment. Jesus didn't go, okay, I want to send people on a missions trip. I need some apostles. Who wants to sign up? He didn't do that. He went, prayed, you. Would you like to do this? Would you like to do this? Jesus recruited he taught, he instructed, he did life with them, he mentored them, like, you know, let me show you how to do it. He inspired them, he encouraged them, he developed them, and he multiplied them. Jesus was a pretty good leader. He had a sense of purpose, and he didn't want to just do ministry, that he actually saw what he did as he's here to reproduce himself and to multiply. That's very, very important. Look. I've been in church, so have you. Most people think that to, to be a leader in the ministry is to do the ministry. And that's how people get territorial. This is my children's ministry. This is my kitchen ministry. But we're not called to be doers. We're called to be developers. We're not called to do everything. We're to, to coach and help and equip other people to get something done. And in doing that, they get developed. This, this is what you do when you raise your family. I, you know, look, my girls, when they're old enough, they're going to be cutting the lawn. Absolutely. Not because I'm lazy, because I know it's good for them. And you know what I'm doing with them now? They go, Dad, can I mow the lawn? No, you can't. Can I do it with you? Okay. Right? And so I'm like this, and they're, and I, I'm showing them how to do it. And one day, they're going to just regret asking. <laughs> hey, would you do the lawn? Dad, oh, yeah, you can do it. Okay. So just think of that. So what does this have to do with us? Yes, Jesus is our example, but he's not just an example. He has specific instructions. In John chapter 20, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. This is extraordinary. If you're, if you're a disciple, Jesus will never recruit you to be on his mission. I'm telling you. Jesus will never come to you and say, hey, would you, would you please come on my mission? Why won't he do that? Because you're already on the mission. I don't feel like I'm on the mission. It doesn't matter that we are already sent. We are already sent. If you've gotten saved, it's so that you don't go to hell. It's saved that you can have a better life, have a better family. But you have been saved for a purpose. When you get saved, you're already in the, in the middle of a mission. There's no way around it that God saved us for purposes, so when he saved us, he put us right in the middle of his plan for our purpose. Non-optional. Isn't that weird? Some of you go, wait a second, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up to be on the mission. I didn't choose this. And Jesus, if he were here, he'd smile at you and he'd go, you're right. You didn't choose, you didn't choose this. I chose it. So, you know, I chose you. Um, one of the hard parts about church, you, you, can, you can find out what your ecclesiology is by asking yourself, what direction is your internal arrow pointing? That if, if I'm doing ministry so I can be all that I can be, or I do ministry so I can find fulfillment, those are, those are not bad things. 
or we do church so we can build the church and have a bigger church, if the arrows are always pointing in, it won't be nearly as fruitful as if our internal arrow is pointing out. Where the internal arrows, the reason I take on these responsibilities is so I can develop people. Or, as we'll see, it's the reason I take care of, do these things so I can develop people so we can advance the kingdom, not build up a church. In Matthew 16, this is what Jesus says. On this rock, which is a revelation of who Jesus is, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is an extraordinary statement. Now, I'm not cutting on anybody who has a Catholic background or anything like that, but hopefully we all know that Jesus, the, the rock is not Peter. Please, you know, and, and look, we'll talk later. If you go, wait a second, Peter's my rock. No, 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 no. The rock on which Jesus builds his church is the revelation of who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing. By the way, that, and that's why spiritual gifts are so important. A lot of people want to develop spiritual gifts, prophecy and all this sort of stuff, because it's cool. And the truth is, it's cool. But the reason we have spiritual gifts is that by the Holy Spirit, the gifts reveal Jesus in such a way that they build up the body. If you develop gifts without the idea of building up the body, you've taken away the purpose of the gifts. Anyway, Jesus said, as I'm revealed to the church, it'll be built... And the evidence of its being built is that the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates don't move. So as the church is being strengthened in the right way, there'll always be an outward focus. Always. Scripture's clear. The kingdom of God is always advancing. The kingdom of God, God never maintains. It's always advancing. Sometimes it's slow, but it's always very powerful. Then you look at Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a big deal. Jesus is going to tell us what the overall push for church really is. Um, and Jesus has this idea that he can tell the church who, it, who she really is and why she really is. He, uh, he died for her, and so he, he actually thinks that his ecclesiology is accurate. And have you ever noticed that your deeply held convictions, when they conflict with Jesus's, something's going to have to change, and it, it won't be God. It just won't. I mean, I have tried to cut so many mutual non-aggression packs with God. Well, can we negotiate? God, he'll go, I can wait. I'm an eternal God, you know? Um, here's what Jesus said. Whatever you do, you know, I'm the boss. All authority has been in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so listen to this. Therefore, go. And I don't know about you, my first reaction to that is, go where? And it's interesting that God in here doesn't say where, but he just says go. Basically saying, live, live your life framed by the idea that your inner arrow is pointed outward. Go, go with this purpose. Go and make disciples of all sorts of people, of all nations. Think about it. That whether you're in a supermarket, whether you know, you're an entrepreneur, whether or not you're flipping burgers at Burger King, all that stuff is important, but what frames it is, I'm on a mission, and right now, my mission leads me here. Is there anybody I can connect with for, for kingdom purposes? Now, Jesus said, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that are cool for church, like a sense of family, uh, love, acceptance. 
Well, yeah, actually, this idea, well, we're going to join a family, and, and then we'll, we'll just love each other. Do you know how hard it is to love one another? Really, it's easy to love people in theory and at a distance. But then when you get to know them, you just go, oh, this would be an opportunity to really love them. You know, church, church is, this, is this, uh, it's this petri dish, it's, it's this laboratory where God puts us together so we can have chemical reactions, right? And we can actually do this love thing, right? But anyway, our job is to go and not make doers, but to make disciples. And even if we don't like people, that's our mission. Even if we have you know, people skill problems, it's still our mission. Even if we're scared to death of people, or even, I don't know how to disciple, I don't know how to reproduce, I don't know. Jesus says, go anyway. We are on a constant on-the-job training. Because Jesus says, as we go with the idea of making disciples and reproducing, Jesus said, I'll be with you. You know, that's the game changer. He'll be with us. So the first thing is, how do you actually, in your heart, relate to church, its mission, and its method? Our mission is to advance the kingdom in such a way that disciples are, are produced. And his method is, whatever it is you're doing, figure out ways to teach other people how to do it. Just saying. The second thing you might want to ask is, are you a doer or are you a developer? This is a big deal. We haven't gotten to the second point. Um, are you a doer or a developer? Really, you know where the bottleneck in ministry is? And this is what I love about this church. There's such a growth, and let's do things together. And now, now we have our pastor. It's like, okay, everybody, let's go do this. But a lot of us are doers. Have you ever just, okay, everybody, let's go do it. And they just don't do it right. They don't listen. They screw up just like you did when you first started. But you go, uh, not, never mind, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. We have to hold back on that. We, we have to just rein that in and... Our job as leaders is to develop people, not do the job. I'm, 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 I'm not important. I'm telling you. I know this. Um, but when I was offered to, uh, you know, in previous years when I was based in the church, I would travel about half time, and then I'd come home. I would disciple people and do leadership development. I would just do it. That was, you know, that's part of my job. But now, for some reason, this big church that I had a relationship with it said, hey, we'd really like you to to be a leadership development guy. And I'm going, wait a second, you're close to 9,000, you don't need someone like me. As a matter of fact, I might take away, you know. I was completely overwhelmed. And then the guy who hired me, he goes, listen, we don't want you to do ministry as much as we want you to develop teams. And I go, oh, so in other words, I actually have to do my job as an equipper? You know, as a five-fold equipping guy? Yeah. Okay, and I just went, it's not for me to do everything and not just recruit people to get the job done. <gasps> Develop teams. So I'm actually doing my job. Not very well, but I'm on my way. So are you a doer or a developer? So, so how, how do you develop? I mean, how do you relate to church? The second is how do you actually relate to your personal calling? I'm not talking about how do you actually relate to what you really want to be when you grow up. I mean, that's really important. But have you ever noticed, you know, God is not a downer. He is not a downer. But we have ideas of what would be cool to be us. And God's got like a different idea. And we think that if, if we go with God's way, it'll be a, a downgrade. It'll be a bummer. It'll be dry. It'll be gray, right? But actually, 
God's ways are always best. We've got to keep reminding ourselves that God is smarter than us. All right? Now I'm going to tell a story that some of you heard, and Mike can lip sync this thing. But I want you, I really, I want you to hit this thing really hard and think about it. Um, imagine that you're a lawnmower. You're, you're one of those John Deere lawnmowers. But you don't know you're a lawnmower. You're just there. You come out of the box. You're all oiled and gassed up. And you haven't read the manual. And you haven't talked to the manufacturer. And what am I going to do? So you're a self-starter. And you don't know what you are, but you go, I am powerful. So then you see a pile of pebbles. And you go, I think I'll go to the pebbles. And you get, and you get on top of the pile of pebbles. What's going to happen to you? Well, a lot of sound, right? But you're going to get dinged up. Your blade's going to get dinged up. Maybe the engine will seize up. Who knows, right? But, but you're going to get injured, and so will anything within your sphere of influence. That's what happens when we take how we are made and use it for purposes for which we're not designed. So imagine you get off the pile, and, and you, know, you go, oh, I'll try better next time. You go up and do the same thing, maybe even worse, right? Has anybody ever done that? Right? Nobody. You take how you're made and use it for purposes for which you're not designed. I know a lot of guys who are great leaders, and they can influence anybody to do anything. And what they do is they influence their buddies to do stupid stuff. You know? But they have that leadership gift. Anyway, so you're taking off the rocks, and you go, I think I'm going to read the manual. You're an extraordinary lawnmower, because you can read. So you read the, lawnmower, uh, you read the manual, and you maybe start communicating with the manufacturer, God, right? Because he made you. You didn't make you. God made you. And you read, I'm a lawnmower. Now, initially, you go, how boring, a lawnmower. I mean, what about the rocks? But you go, look, I'll try it out. And initially, the transition from doing the rocks to the grass, it's, it's awkward because you're used to hurting yourself and hurting others. It's all you know, you know? You, you think your job in life is to minimize hurt, right? So you get over here, and you start cutting it, but you keep on cutting it. Oh, I'm a lawnmower. You read the thing. I'm a lawnmower. You call up. Are you sure I'm a lawnmower? Yes, you're a lawnmower. You and after a while, you go, you start saying this. This is the air I breathe. I'm a lawnmower. Yeah? And, and you go, this is, this is what I was made for. And you start cutting it. You go, wow, this is great. I'm cutting it. And then you start going, I don't want to just cut the lawn. I want to cut the lawn well. So you start, I think I'll cut all the grass. And then I'll make straight lines, Right? And you're doing all this, you're excelling in what you were made for, and there's a deep sense of satisfaction. But here's, here's the real clincher. If someone drives by after you've cut that lawn, they're not going to go, wow, I wish I could meet that lawn more. That, what they will say is, the guy who owns that house really takes care of his lawn. When we find out how we're really made and what we're really made for and just determined to grow in that, over time... A deep sense of satisfaction. You go, ah, this is what I was made for. You've got to throw off old, old habits. You know, but you just look at the book. Talk to the manufacturer. And he'll grow you into who you are and why you are. And then God will get glorified. So, now, so, some of you are going, oh, that's really great. You know, got any application? Sure, I'll do this. Look, our world teach, has really weird ways of teaching men how to be husbands. Our world has a really weird way of teaching uh, women how to be wives it's just you know how that is and there are all these competing ideas and you know christians they love god and they try to mix and match and all this sort of stuff and sometimes 
boulders. <laughs> they try to shine boulders or they're just little pebbles, but things are just sort of rough. Have you ever noticed the couples who go, look, we're not perfect, but let's actually get off the rock pile and, and see what God has to say, what God has to say, the value that he attaches to being a godly husband. I mean, if, if a man ever gets the idea, it's not like I have to lay down my life for this woman to the point where I was born for this. I was born to learn to lay my life down, not to her, but for her. I was born for this. Yes, it's amazing what happens. And, and look, I, I'm probably going to get someone mad at me, but when ladies sit there and go, look, yeah, I'm not going to go into the submission thing, so don't get mad at me too much. But, but part of what I was made for, not my duties, but what, what I was made for is, that, is to be a helper to this guy to help, to encourage and help him and respect him so he can be everything he can be. And it's not like what I have to do to be a good Christian wife. It's like, I was born for this. I was designed for this. And, you know, ladies, if you've ever had these ladies groups, you know, ladies, how can we up our game? How many of you have this, how do we be a better, quote-unquote, better wife? Have you ever gone to small groups like that? Anybody? Ha! Guess what? You all need one. (laughs) No, but it's hard. It is hard because you have to see what God said, but what about the rock pile? You know, there's, so there's something about how do you relate to your own personal calling? A lot of people are, some people are called to maybe full-time ministry or we'll call it pulpit ministry or vocational ministry. Go, yeah, I'm really good because I got a gift of gab. People like me and I'm handsome and all this sort of stuff. So I'll just use my gifts. And you go, no, no, no. How you relate to it is if you really think you're called, not only will you prepare, get to know scripture and all that, but you allow God to start changing your character. How do you actually relate to your calling. Or if you don't know what you're called to do and you don't know what your gifts to do, what, how do you relate to the fact that God has, has a manual, he's got a direct line that can help us understand who we really are and why we are really, how do we relate to it? God gives us a strong recommendation. It's in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 15. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. See, that's the kicker. God said, you know, I've created you to, to be certain sorts of people and to accomplish certain sorts of things. And you, you don't just agree with it, you lay a hold of it. And even if you don't know what it is, you just say, I want to. Whatever it takes. You know, I, I, there's so many men who go, look, I have no clue about what it is to be a godly husband, the kind of husband that could be a benefit not just to my wife and my kids, but, but future generations that are going to come after us. I don't know how to do it, but I want it. And I'm going to hang around guys who are doing it. I'm going to read the books. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask my wife to help me. And she can help you. You know what you're doing? Not so, not so much. Do this. But I'm the head of the house. Anyway, there's something about laying a hold of it. It's hard to go from the rock pile to the lawn. But if you just persevere cutting the lawn, you get good at it. So how do you actually relate to your personal calling? How do you, here's a nice story about Mike. When he was first called to ministry, God says, uh, he said, basically, God, surely there's someone else. Not me. I can't do it. But after a while, he said, all right, maybe. And then there's something about it. He laid a hold of it. He said, are you sure? And he still didn't think he could do it, but he said, yeah, I'm willing to grow in it. It's a weird thing when you just, and it's not just for ministry. It's for anything you're called to do. <clears throat> there was a time 
when my, I had a, a seasonal calling to be in the quote-unquote business world. And I, I was a sales manager, a customer service manager, and uh, oh, I thought I was doing good, but I was a real jerk. I was a real jerk. And once I realized I was a real jerk, I realized that God had put me into this situation to expose my jerkiness so that, oh God, whatever you want me to do, show me how to be a Christian even here. And as soon as I started learning the lessons, then I was able to escape. <laughs> it was great. But I had to lay a hold of my calling instead of simply agree. There's something also about whatever it is we're called to do, husband, you know, boss or whatever, You don't want, want other non-calling things to compete with it. Just, so how do we relate to what we're called to do? Are we willing to grow? I've known people who said, look, I'm too old to have a calling. I just want to have, a, I just want to have grandbabies, and I just don't want to die too early, and you know, all that sort of stuff. Do you know that God stirred up a sense of calling and purpose to very old people in the Bible? Abram and Sarah. I mean, Really? Their bodies were as good as dead. That meant the, po- the parts didn't work anymore. But God said, you don't have a kid? And they did it. And then they had a kid in an old age. Could you imagine someone going, I'm too old to find out my purpose. I am too old or I'm too screwed up. I, I, I have lived on the rock pile my whole life and I just want to survive. I'll turn off my engine so I don't hurt anybody else but I'll just stay at the rock pile. Could you imagine living like that? God will still love you, but when you get to heaven, your rewards will be like, a little 18-inch TV, when you could have had a big, full-wall, flat-screen, anyway. <laughs> That's right, hey, look, ESPN Classic. That, I just want to get there. See, ESPN Classic will have all the sports things, past, present, and future. Really, everything will be a classic, because God knows the end from the beginning. I'll be able to watch the super, like, if, if I were to die in 2050, right, I would be able to know who won the Super Bowl in 2055. Because, anyway, that's just my little fantasy. <laughs> Here's another thing. How do we relate to the issue of ownership? This is such a fundamental thing. I'll, I'll read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Let's go to lawnmowers again. If, <clears throat> if I give you a lawnmower and it's your lawnmower, and you take the lawnmower and go try to polish rocks, I drive by and go, brother, you're an idiot. That's not what lawnmowers are for. You know what you'll probably say? You'll probably go, maybe, but it's my lawnmower. I can do with it what I want. That's true. But if I go, hey, brother, this is my lawnmower. I'd like you to use it. You start polishing rocks. It's a different story. Right? So here's this question. Who owns us? And i got to keep on reminding myself. Okay, Lord, I could do this, but... I don't own me. You do, right? I'm sort of like on loan. I'm, I'm owned by you purchased me. Um, just being transparent, I love ministry, but ministry is really hard. This, oh, you're in ministry? It must be exciting. Please, it is not. 
It is not exciting. Sometimes it is. Very rewarding, but it's hard as heck. And one of the reasons is ministry involves interacting with people. Think about that. Jesus had to die for all people. Why? Because people are broken. So I interact a lot with broken people. And I'm one of the broken people. So broken people interact with broken people. That's just a recipe for just happiness. <laughs> but I have this responsibility to help people get unbroken and all that. You know, just help people grow. And some people are just absolutely, you are from Mars. You're the first person that has been saved by Jesus whose citizenship is Mars. I can't believe it. You are so foreign, you're crazy. Or really broken. There are churches I go, God tells me, if you do this, great things will happen. And they go, thank you so much. But they just do what they're, and I used to get offended, but not anymore. You know what I, you know what I tell myself? I go, Lord, I even wrote this down. Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. I'm your servant. I am your servant. And I re- when I re- I'm really reminding myself of who owns me. My accomplishments don't own me. My success doesn't own me. Other people's opinions don't own me nearly as much as they used to. But it, you own me. I'm telling you, this, this is something, this is something that ask the Lord to help you relate to that fact that he owns you. And when you're about to do the thing that you're not designed to do, you go, I'm not my own. It's hard in the beginning, but after a while, it's incredibly liberating. How do you relate to the importance of character? Look, I believe in gifts. I believe in callings. I believe in talents. And, but the way God has it, he, he gives us gifts. He gives us callings. He gives us talents. But all these things need, for them to be effective, they need to be carried by a growing, increasingly stable, Christ-like character. You don't get it all at once. Believe me, I know. (laughs) Um, I'm better than I used to be. I'm more Christ-like than I used to be, but it's like, oh man, there's just so much. But when it comes to leading, and also in terms of developing, it's good to look for talent. But if you have to choose between talent and character, go with character. Go with character. And let me give you an idea what character can mean. Is someone faithful? Is someone faithful? How many times, you know, uh, look, I, I know this isn't true here, but in, it seems like child, children's ministry, people always sign up, and there's like a 25% involvement rate. The people who do the scheduling, oh, you can't come, you're on vacation, you didn't tell me, all this sort of stuff. You know, faithful, the people who say when they're going to do something, they're going to do it. You, you look for them, because God puts a premium on faithfulness. God says if you're faithful in little things, doesn't say if you're talented in little things, but if you're faithful in little things, guess what? God will promote you to have authority over more. He'll increase your capacity to influence. So faithfulness, I mean, I do this when, when I disciple guys, they don't even know, I mean, it sounds sort of sneaky, but it's not. Well, it is sneaky, but it's not bad sneaky. This guy will come to me and goes, would you disciple me? Sure. And we talk about expectations, and I go, okay. Hey, there's this book. As a matter of fact, I got a copy. Here's a book. Could you read it? And uh, let's set up an appointment for two weeks. And, you know, will you read it? He goes, yeah, yeah. And so two weeks, sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. But if they show up, I go, hey, so what was the book? Oh, I didn't get to it. Now I don't go, boy, you are just unfaithful. You're no good. But I will say, look, how about when you're done reading the book, then come back and we'll talk. And the ones that come back and talk, those are the ones I know I can work with. I'm not being elitist. I mean, there are people who are much more talented than a lot of people that I'm discipling, but the ones who say, look, I want to grow. 
I'm willing to actually follow through with what I agreed on, those are the champions. Those are the winners. Um, if you're teachable. Now, teachability is so hard because, you know, we know stuff. But if someone wants to say, you know, there's a better way, you find out. You find out if they're teachable. Now, don't tell me what to do. Or, I got it, I got it. Or, I, I know people that are given ministries, they're given responsibility, and they do whatever they can to make sure that nobody can come check on them. And when someone checks on them, they go, I got it. Are you saying I'm doing it wrong? And you just go, well, okay, let's work, let's work more. There's a teachability where you want to consider other ways to improve. I think that's okay. I think God thinks that's okay. Um, loyalty. I'm not talking about the blind, lockstep loyalty. I'm talking about how you talk about someone when they're not there is the same as you would talk about them face to face. That means if you're a gossiper and I find out you're a gossiper, that won't disqualify you, but I'll talk to you and say, hey, brother, you know something? For, for, for teams to work, they've got to trust. And the idea, you know, and I'm not insecure, but if, if you have a problem with me, I really encourage you to come right to me and believe me, if I'm wrong, I'll beat you to it. I'll say, oh, yeah, you're right, I'm, I'm wrong. But to be able to communicate in a way that's godly even when other people are, are around, you know, it, 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 it's such a thing. And some people are not good at that. But a good coach knows how to, in a graceful way, grow people from ungodly ways of communication to godly ways of communication. Uh, here's another one. This is actually my favorite. Um, I look for people who are quick to break. Quick to own their mistake. Um, even if the other person's a, you know, wrong. I'm, I'm going to read this from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 20. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some are for ignoble. If a man or a woman cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be instrument, an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do good, any good work. You know, it's not, we all make mistakes, we all sin, we all have bad habits and all that. That's not the issue. But when those things are brought into the light, what's our first reaction? Right? If you go... <gasps> You're right. I mean, we naturally defend ourselves. We naturally blame other people. Isn't that true? Look, I'm responsible for a lot of things, and I entrust a lot of things to other people. And when things don't go, go right, my superiors go, hey, you know this thing? It didn't go right. You know what my first reaction wants to be? Well, I did everything I could, but they screwed up. I don't do that. I go, this is on my watch. I go, you're right. I am sorry. I'm sorry. It's on my watch. Um, this is what happened. Do you have any advice? Okay. I will, I will start fixing the problem. I'm not saying I'm the example of what it is to, to break quickly, but when, when, when someone is willing to own what they can own as quickly as they can, they're trustworthy. I say all that, and when someone's trustworthy like that, their ministry is more fruitful. That's what it says there. They will be useful for every kind of good work. So as we grow in brokenness, grow in character, our fruitfulness increase. And I get this from Proverbs 25.11. Um, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. When I first read that, I, I immediately had an application to the prophetic. There are many people who have great prophetic gifts. Great prophetic gifts. And I used to think that developing people in their gifting was to develop their gift. 
And I still do that, but I, I found I can't improve on the Holy Spirit. I've tried. I've just tried. I'm just bad at it, right? But what I realized is that if the gifts are apples of gold, the settings can be just as much a work of the Holy Spirit as the gifts. So if you have a prophetic person and they have a wrong ecclesiology, they're sitting there going, to be prophetic means to be weird. Or to be prophetic means to be Old Testament and mad. And I go, great gifts. God wants to change your setting. Or some people prophesy out of woundedness. You know, I, I actually heard someone prophesy. This is what the Lord says. I am really angry at you, but I died for you. And you go, well, that's actually true, but they're mad at the church. You can tell what someone's setting is. You know, the gift, I mean, actually, it was an accurate word. There's some things going on in the church that were not right, and God's saying, you know, I don't like that. But her setting needed to be changed because she'd been so wounded, okay? So character development in ourselves and in others that's a high priority. If you have like a beautiful diamond and you put it in a cheap, bright green setting, plastic, you would even wonder whether or not it's a diamond. Isn't that true? So how do you actually relate to your development in character? When you get dinged, do you defend yourself or you go, hmm, Lord, what do you think? How do you relate to the past? Could I go quickly over the last two things? Because that's where my natural break is. Okay. Uh, This is the plowing part, what I'm doing now. Okay. Um, How do we actually relate to the past and the future? And remember, the kingdom of God is always moving forward. It's always advancing. In Luke chapter 9, um, this is what Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit or equipped for service in the kingdom of God. Now let's say you have a tough past. You have a tough past. And you want to go forward. And if you keep on looking back to your past or bothered by your past, it doesn't mean that God won't love you. It doesn't mean that God won't bless you. What, what it's really saying is, look, for you to grow into your future, if you keep on you know, focusing on your past, it will get in the way of you being equipped for your future. That's just how, that's why we have healing. Not so we're better Christians, but so that our past no longer rules us. That our past can actually be something that can propel us into our future. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is really cool. Some of you have really struggled and all. Can you imagine you're struggling and then there's this big stadium going, Go! We believe you. You go, but I'm a jerk. I have all those problems. You got everybody going, we're watching. You can do this. Come on. Right? I mean, it would probably would encourage you. That would be really weird, but it really encourage you. But that's actually what's going on. Those who have died and gone on to heaven, they're watching us, and we're, they're a great cloud of witnesses. They go, yeah, you guys, we're, you know, pray. I don't know if they're praying, but they're going, yeah, you go. Look at this. Since we got witnesses, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off. You know what throwing off is? It's throwing off, not, well, just take my time and just tell I'm comfortable. Sometimes you go, throw it off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You throw it off. You deal decisively. If you have a sin pattern, you just keep on fighting and you go, not, well, I'll manage it. I'll do a little bit, but not all the way and all that. You go, no! No, and you run! You just run. I'm not doing this. Your little secretary sitting there going, you are such a good boss. And you go, no, I'm gonna, as, as you're doing this, I'm calling my wife. 
There's something about when you're decisive with stuff that you know that either they're out of bounds or it's leading you to out of bounds. There's a ruthlessness that God gives us grace for. He goes, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, and perfecter of our faith. This is so very important. I believe sometimes God wants to heal us so that we can go forward. But the truth be known, if we determine to go forward, in going forward, we'll be healed. Let me explain. If, you're an, if you want to be an Olympian, and you just love sweets, right? You just love bear claws. You just love all this other good, gooey stuff, right? And you want to be an Olympian. You could either stop eating that stuff so that you could go into training, or what you do is you go, I'm going into training. I'm going to set my sights on 2020. I'm going to set my, and you know something, once you start doing this, guess what? Those bear claws, you go, ooh, they're good, but they'll get in the way of this thing. I mean, husbands and wives, you're going to sit there and go, so why are we together? So we can create world changers. Well, we've got to get healed. Wait a second. Why don't we commit to making our kids world changers? Let's commit to going classes. Let's commit to getting disciples. Let's commit to do that. And I'm telling you, as you go forward, you'll have increased motive to throw things off. It's weird how that works. The idea of get fixed before you move on, that's true sometimes. But mostly is, come on, move on, and as you move on, you start throwing stuff off. Isn't that true? I hope so. And then there's the pressures of navigating change and risk. To be a leader, to be an influencer, it's really weird. We like to influence people so they can change. But you know, the people who are most inclined to change, to grow, they're the ones who are the best developers of people. And change is difficult usually because we don't know what the change is going to look like but it how do you look at the prospect of change most of us get scared i get scared i don't know isn't this good enough but god's real clear he doesn't want us to shrink back doesn't please him he'll still love us don't shrink back and in hebrews 11 6 that without faith it's impossible to please god the change that god wants to bring us into you got to trust that he knows what he's doing instead of going i'll hold on to the familiar instead of taking steps into the unknown, it takes faith. Um, I have a misprint there. It says Hebrews 3.18. That would be wrong. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transformed from glory to glory as we try really hard to be as good as possible. Isn't that what Scripture says? No. We are transformed from glory to glory as we behold Him. Up above, in Hebrews 12, the key is focusing on Jesus. That sounds like such it sounds like such a cliche, but it is the key. We've had some past glories. God has some future cool things. And it says we're transformed from glory to glory. The key is learning how to navigate the two places. What do you do when you go, you're thankful for where you've been, and, and you know God's leading into a new thing, what do you do? Fret about what the future looks like? No. There's something about really drilling down deep and strengthening your devotional life with Jesus. Huge, huge. That, that's what it is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because as we focus on him, develop our relationship, that brings us the transformation. That gets us out of the two place. So uh, these are things, I've gone through them quickly. I, I gave you the notes just so maybe you can look at them later. Maybe some of you will start a small group and go, how can we unpack some of these things? But these are some character things. 
when we watch our lives, how do we relate to these very, very foundational things? And wherever you are, don't get discouraged. Just go, okay, this is it. How do I go from here and how do I grow? And as you do that, you'll impact a whole bunch of other people.